Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information, and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax. It's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Hello, listeners. Welcome. Vetgurus.com. Brendan here with Mark. And Mark, we we're a little bit um, we're a little bit out of sorts here because we haven't mentioned our sponsors very often and our wonderful sponsors. So I think we need to do a bit of a shout out to at least one of our sponsors. And I'll I'll pick on Doug. Doug from Microchips Australia. Gee, it's a Amazing website there. I, I got lost there once, Mike, Mark, and I, I just couldn't get out. <laughs> and I, I was just, it was just amazing the things that were on there that I could purchase all these tracker devices. And you know, I like um, inserting lots of tracker devices in certain orifices around my house, Mark, to keep track of all my animals and my um, my two daughters there, Mark, and um, Live Trek Track um, Sentinel um, is the one that I've sort of settled on that. Um, I've got to charge it. I've got it sat in front of me here, Mark, uh, and it needs a charge because um, I've, I've wasted the charge on it. Um, so um, the battery doesn't last as long as it should, Doug. Um, you need to up your game with the um, with the last um, with with the time that the battery lasts for. Um, probably what I should have done is purchase the one that you can hardwire into your car, Mark. Um, I was a, and um, you don't need to charge the battery. So, yes, Microchips Australia, um, and they also are the distributor for the wonderful, wonderful product that you know I'm going to talk about, Mark. Do you know what I'm going to talk about that we I, use in surgery? I, I have every idea what you're about to talk about. But I've, before you do, I've got to just um, say that uh, while – our good friend Doug is the Australian distributor for the um, the Lone Star Retractor. Um, there, he's got some other excellent uh, gear available, uh, magnification, um, some boards and lights and things that all help um, when we're doing surgery on our small and exotic patients. But I have got a draw focus back to the Lone Star Retractor because, crikey's Brendan, I use it every single day. It is an excellent product, and I'll tell you what, it lasts. Um, so I don't know how he copes with, um, you know, he, he, he sells them, but it's <laughs> such a good product that they don't run out. Um, they don't they don't break um, well enough. So, you know, the built-in obsolescence that should be there, um, he hasn't thought it through properly, Mark. No, he? Although no, the little they... stays, the stays that come with it you, um, tend to slowly degrade um, quicker than the actual ring that is used so yeah um they certainly uh, yeah. they certainly are lone star retractors and not apple surgical retractors brendan <laughs> <laughs> apple gear is very good it's just that they keep updating it mark they keep updating um their products so yes the um, so go to microchips dot com and dot au and you can look through the extensive Extensive, Mark, um, list of products that they have there, yeah, including the um, d- decoders, data loggers, which is what the live, live trek is under. He's, he's updated his little, um, I'm flicking through it now, his um, menus there, Mark, um, and it's looking quite snazzy there. And, um, yes, you're correct there. There are some 
um, very interesting products there. Um, he's, I think he must be um, in the in the um, surveillance game, Mark. Um, considering <laughs> all the products he he um, he plugs there, so um, just be careful what you say when you're around Doug's booth at one any of the conferences there, Mark. Um, yeah. So there you go. So Microchips Australia. So there's a little plug for one of our sponsors, and um, yeah, we we um, we like to stir Doug up a little bit and. Um, um, for those listeners who don't know, he tends to listen to our podcast when he's sitting on his ride on the mower. Just a little bit of an inside story here um, on his property, doesn't he, Mark? So he must have sort of noise cancelling headphones, or perhaps you and I are the noise <laughs> cancelling. Um, we cancel out the sound of the mower, and um, he just hears this drone in his um, in his ears, and it and it's the two of us, and then he pretends that he listens to us every week. Brendan, I was going to talk to you about. Um, uh, I've I've been cutting down the amount of dairy products in my diet, just for a bunch of you know. Um, I already don't eat any meat to speak of, but I don't know the dairy things. I'm I'm increasingly looking for other ways to to enjoy those foods. You know that um, I I don't know how I'm going to ever go with without with coffee without um some milk as a routine thing but um i wanted to report to you today that um i had a bit of a taste of um some coconut milk yogurt um so yogurt a culture applied to coconut milk that uh, produced a yogurt it's um I was. I approached the taste test with a uh, with a little bit of a trepidation, but Brendan, I've got a report that I really enjoyed it. It certainly has a slightly different taste, and the brand that I had wasn't overwhelmingly coconut uh, flavored. Um, by the time the culture had done its works, but you could still tell it was it, the the coconut was the source, um, and it had definitely had a little bit more of a dessert feel to it than than maybe um uh traditional uh, milk yogurt um but um crikeys it was yummy brendan i'll be having a little bit more of the coconut milk yogurt in the future to cut down on my uh consumption of dairy products well you better get up on your exercise bike mark if you're taking too much of that coconut milk because you've got to be a little bit careful with it but um yeah our girls certainly consume that um coconut type products, milks, etc. Um I must admit, we're off on a bit of a tangent here. Um I do at home when I use my um grind my own coffee beans there, Mark, as you know, and I um like my coffees, I have been using a soy milk to make coffees and I have found the inside story is, Mark, here in Australia anyway, is that the baristas tend to use only one type of soy milk because all the others don't seem to work very well. I think it's a te- something to do with the temperature when you're heating up the milk that it that it ends up separating and curdling. Um, and that's one called Bonzoi, Mark. So if you want to try that, Bonzoi um, milk mm. is the one to go with for the soy milk. Um, so Bonzoi is Bonza, Mark. Um, so if you <laughs> want to use one, um, that's the one I do. Having said that, 
I'm going to reverse what I just said. Um, the last couple of weeks, I've been using it in my coffee machine, and it, it hasn't been working. So I don't know what I've done. I, I did sort of descale the machine recently, and um, perhaps some of the descaling um, substances sort of got into the little frother um, that that heats up the um, milk. Because when I try and use the bonzoi milk in it, it does. Um, Tend to separate when I then add that heated milk into the um, into the coffee that I've made there. So yeah, I've got um, two words for you, Brendan: long black. <laughs> yes, um, or um, macchiato. So just uh, uh, which means stain in Italian. <laughs> so um, as you know, I got that, that, that contact with that the Italian side, my wife's side there. Um, so that just means a little bit of milk in the um, black there, um, coffee. The, so, yes, yeah, so, um, yeah, no, no, you're correct there. Um, so there we go. There we've, got, we've done our little um, our food um, tour there. And, um, yeah, I think we should start reviewing some of these um, sort of items in the future, Mark. Instead of our usual film review, we can talk about some food items um, as well. And I've got something that I'd, I'd like to review, Mark, but I'm going to hang off to next episode because um, I think we need to get stuck into things because we're going to talk about good news this week, Mark. It is good news stories. And I've selected, well, you have too, selected all good news story there. And I'll kick off with the first one, Mark. And this one, well, this one, you might think that it's it's nothing new and we've all heard this before, but I think it's important that these sort of general sort of articles about animals and health get out there, Mark, and that people keep plugging it because um, I think the long-term studies show that these, um, these are true. Um, and the title of the article is Pets Are Good For Your Health and We Have The Studies To Prove It. And this is from our one of our favourite sites, Mother Nature Network, and I think they go through, let me scroll down here, 8, 9, 10, no, 11, no, 12, no, 13, 13, <laughs> 13 points there. Um, it's a, quite a long article, so I'm going to rip through them. Number one, pets help you live longer, healthier lives. And um, according to one of the studies, and obviously there's been lots of these studies being done on over, over many many years, um, one of the studies followed 3.4 million people in Sweden and they studied people between the age of 40 and 80 and followed their health records for about a dozen years and whether they owned dogs and they found that people who lived alone, owning a dog can decrease their risk of death by 33% and their risk of cardiovascular related death by 36% compared with people without a pet and chances were of having a heart attack were also lower and 2019 review of nearly 70 years of research found that dog owner, and I presume that was a meta study, um, dog ownership lowers your risk of dying from any cause by 24%. Um, so, yeah, and the results were published in the journal called Circulation Mark. Do you read that one? No. The Journal of the American Heart Association. I do not. But um, their findings are come as no surprise, Brendan. Absolutely. Well, number two. Gee, I've got another 12 <laughs> to go here. Pet, pets, maybe perhaps I'll just select a few of these. Uh, we will link 
to this article on vetgurus.com. So just look at the show notes there. Pets alleviate allergies and boost immune function. And a few studies they mention here. One of them was a study published in the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology found that newborns who live with cats have a lower risk of childhood asthma, pneumonia and bronchiolitis. Um, the study probably also found that um, newborns who are allergic to cats um, may die. <laughs> <laughs> so it's sort of um, survival of the fittest, I expect, with some of these things. Um, I, I was, I'll tell you what, I've got a, I, I need to ask you a question, Mark. I had somebody, I was chatting to a client. It was a client this week, and for some reason they, they started talking about um, when we grew up, um, you know, the old, um, and then you start to get on a bit of a bandwagon, and they said, when we grew up, we never had any nut allergies. You know, everybody, when you went to school, you know, there was no such thing as worrying about nuts and um, buying buying nut type products from the little tuck shop that the, the, the canteen at the shop at the um, primary school mark and um, nobody had nut allergies and we never saw people who died from nut allergies and um, I couldn't really say um, I couldn't really reply to that because yeah I, I, I remember when I when in my day mark um, when, I, when I went through school um, we, we certainly had lots of things that had traces of nuts and and more than traces of nuts and we never saw as many of the the allergies that we see these days so what's your thoughts on that well I think the f- I think um I, I suspect that um, peanuts have been increasingly used. I think they're much more widely, you know, uh, in the the processed baby foods in in a whole bunch of things uh, that um, young people get access to these days. Um, there's a much higher um, proportion of um, them that contain. Um, residues of peanut proteins and so I think that's part of it I think that uh, ends up um, um, you know stimulating more people to have a reaction one one of sorry to interrupt but one of the interesting articles I I read fairly recently Mark about nut allergies was the theory that the increase was potentially due to the temperature with they roast nuts have you heard about this I have heard um, yeah yeah in that, in that, the temperatures that they roast nuts these days is—I can't remember whether it was lower or higher—but it was a, a cheaper way and, um, to mass roast nuts um, than they previously did in the past, and, and that had an influence on the the allergens or the allergic response that was happening and, and releasing, you know, um, or not releasing proteins or something that was causing the allergies. So um, I, I thought that one was an interesting theory and potentially part of um, it could 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 fit in with why we're seeing so many more allergies. Well, then another factor could be the... Um the fact that hygiene is so much more dramatically improved that um, uh, children in previous generations would have infections and parasitic infections, bacterial infections. They'd come into contact with dirt, um, and uh, yeah. and there people are... have just got to toughen up, Mark, <laughs> don't they? They just really have to toughen up and get out in the dirt and eat some poo and um, yeah and. Uh... <laughs> Get exposed to allergens, and um, you'll be right. Um, that's my that's my opinion. 
What about the the article you were talking about before the the with the thirteen points? There was one that I really number six really took my um my uh, uh, ah yes. Well, let me let me just um, I'm going to summarise the other ones apart from number six, Mark, and I because I think they sort of all interrelate, and that's number three and number four. Number three is pets up your fis- fitness quotient, and number four, pets dial down stress. And it, and it makes sense, and it relates directly back to the pets help you live longer, healthier lives, because you have a dog or a cat and you, you get out there, don't you? You walk that animal, you, you take it out, you get some exercise, you get some sunshine, you get some vitamin D um, exposure and um, you will be boosting your health and your immune system and, and um, the feel-good hormone, Mark, by getting out there. And I think I've sort of um, gazumped your number six by saying that, by looking, I've just scrolled down to number six. But, yeah, what does number six talk about, Mark? Well, it, it makes you um, a, uh, apparently a chick magnet um, that um, – that uh, people who walk along, they've done studies which look at people who walk along with a dog or without, um, and people who are with a dog get smiled at more and uh, social interactions are begun more frequently. Um, so the good news for guys is that um, women are more willing to give out their number to a man who has who is walking a dog. And... Yeah, let's move on to your first news story, Mark. What have you got? My one's a good news story as well, and I really I've loved the tone. You know, you and I have such a, a habit of dwelling on the disastrous um, that it's good that we have these uh, podcasts where we just dwell on the positives. And my one is about a billboard, a city billboard that's been designed to purify the surrounding air, and particularly after earlier this year in Australia where we were exposed to the smoke of those horrible fires, which really uh, made for several days um, some of our Australian cities had the worst air quality in the world. Um, It's uh, interesting to see that there are ways, um, particularly in cities and particularly uh, um, in in an environmentally friendly way that... um, uh, that um, the air can be improved. And so these structures, uh, metal structures, um, they uh, um, contain, what do they call them? The world's largest air purifier. Um, and um, they uh, use very little power. Um, they uh, depend on resins to adsorb um, uh, particles, air pollutants, um, the specialised resin attracts nearby air pollutants and converts them um, uh, to uh, much simpler compounds and oxygen when exposed to direct sunlight. The photocatalytic nanotechnology um, works similar to mineral-based surface treatments. Um, and so they allow these uh, um, curtains to cleanse airborne pollutants um, from uh, from nearby. I love this uh, attitude that people have that... Um, that you know they they're going to change urban health. They're going to change uh, cities, and they're not necessarily. They take the best of the natural world and the best of modern science, um, and they make a real difference to the urban environment. I could see these structures, um, uh, you know, being being rolled out worldwide um, to uh, to make our cities air more breathable and our cities more livable. Brendan and. 
Yeah, it's quite astounding. The billboard generates the same amount of clean air as 30 trees every six hours, and it can function for up to five years. Um, so, yeah, it was um, it was astounding, although uh, there is a bit of, uh, I was going to say negative, it's supposed to be a positive um, good news um, episode, this one, Mark. Um, um, you skipped over the bit that it's already been done by IKEA. Um, <laughs> if you go, go up um, one paragraph, I was talking about the Gunrid curtains from IKEA use the same mineral-based surface treatment to allow um, to cleanse the airborne pollutants. Um, so, see, IKEA is ahead of the pack, Mark. There, it just takes you forever to assemble the curtains. <laughs> That's the only problem. <laughs> um, great news story, Yaron. I, I think um, some of these news stories are shout out to um, our um, our great researcher um, for some of these. Um, my next one, Mark, is where are we? It's the vets that go into conflict hit regions to help animals and farmers in South Sudan. And um, yeah, it was um, it was basically a little story from um, this veterinarian, Sylvester Okoth or Okoth, um, who is the country director in South Sudan for. Um, the article here which was reported at positive.news and um, it talks about when I decided to become a vet I never imagined it would involve seven hour hikes across swamps, streams and rough terrain terrain to deliver cold boxes full of animals vaccines and um, Sylvester goes on and some pretty I was just hesitated there because I was just looking at that um, photo there Mark I don't know whether you've got this article up of that um, baby there with the the bottle of the milk there sat um, amongst yep, the, yep. the cows there it's a bit um, heart-wrenching um, some of the pictures um, but those pictures there. those pictures do paint a picture of how fundamentally important um, in places like this animal health is that um, that you know that uh, the present the availability of milk for a child like that is the difference between um, uh, uh, malnutrition and relatively normal growth, and so I think um, uh, the it, you know we've talked before about the ways that veterinarians focusing on animal health can make the world a better place for humans, and this is one of those classic stories where um, where uh, through very <coughs> Excuse me. The vaccinations, um, uh, you know, a genuine difference can be made to human welfare. Yes, and Sylvester mentions that exact point there, Mark, saying that it's crucial that we protect these animals as much as possible, especially because milk is a lifeline for more than 275,000 children kept hungry in South Sudan due to the war there. Um, So... People often forget the war does not only entirely wipe out the livestock market, um, um, but um, it also has a flow-on effect to areas where farmers are unable to grow crops, etc., and um, supplying the milk and that. So, so Sylvester and his teams um, travel via aircraft, um, and then they have to hike for many hours, Mark, with their vaccines and other gear and equipment and, and supplies. Um, for many hours to um, f- to get out to the spots where they they're needed there, Mark. But um, yeah, it was. Um, I thought it was um, pretty um, pretty amazing, and, and it makes me feel a bit well. Basically, feel proud about some of the um, some of the um, some of the um, 
vets that are out there doing these sorts of um, jobs and it makes me think um, I'm a little bit insignificant with some of the work that um, we do there because these people are making real real effects and help in um, their country. And I'm, I'm not sure it wouldn't be a particularly safe area that um, Sylvester's travelling out to in um, the regions that he's trying to get out there or she is trying to get out there with the vaccines there, Mark. My next story, Brendan, is a good news story on the surface, but I, it makes me feel ambivalent and, to be honest, a little bit scared. I'll tell you why. The article is about the development of living robots um, that are built using frog cells. Um, so the, the way this works is that um, a, a team of scientists used uh, computers to, um, to develop... Um, programmable organisms. So they would take, uh, you know, the the various uh, tissues, the DNA that makes various tissues, and then those various tissues, and they would assemble them in the computer in such a way that they were repurposed, that they would do things um, that they might not necessarily originally be um, you know, have evolved to do. So an example of that would be that um, that in these uh, um, computer constructions, they might use a heart muscle um, to uh, for cells from a heart muscle to affect um, uh, locomotion, that the repeated uh, contractions that heart uh, muscle cells would do were repurposed to make a, uh, a hypothetical organism uh, move. Um, and so they could, you know, model this and create uh, simulated organisms. Um, and in the computer, they could uh, uh, use the basic rules of biophysics um, and uh, simulate organisms, um, keeping the successful designs and trying to refine them in the computer um, and dumping the the failed designs. After hundreds of independent runs of the um, algorithm, they had promising designs. And so what they did then is bloody will make them. Um, they transferred the... The, what are, this is a turn of phrase I've, I haven't heard before and I quite like. They transferred the in silico designs. So we have in vitro, in vivo, and in silico. So uh, uh, designs that uh, uh, experiments that are done in computers, modeling yes. computers, uh, they are transferred into life. So they gathered stem cells from, harvested from the embryos of the African, um, the clawed frog, um, the Xenopus lavis, um, and that scientific name for the African frogs gives these um, little constructions their name, Xenobots, um, and they bloody made um, things. Um, they could build these uh, little cellular structures um, uh, into... Um, organisms that would do things. So they could, the idea being, of course, that they could use these little xenobots um, to maybe um, uh, deliver drugs to particular tissues. Um, but um, they, they got them to the point where they could um, get a bunch of them that they'd made and they would, um, they would push uh, pellets, for example, into a central location. Um, so this, uh, it's, 
it, it's optimistic. It leaves me optimistic in one sense that um, intelligent drug delivery or maybe uh, uh, um, specifically trying to damage cancer cells by creating little um, xenobot soldiers that go in and do damage to them. I think these are, you know, exciting developments. But I, geez, there was a couple of sentences here that, um, that uh, reeked to me, of uh, the overconfidence of zealous scientists. So I loved, um, you know, the comparison with other constructions. We've used steel, we've used plastic, but these things, you know, break and uh, they their waste products and damage uh, goes on for ages. But um, with these little xenobots, they're fully biodegradable, says the scientist who uh, is involved in making them. When they're done with their job after seven days, they're just dead skin cells they're equivalent to. <laughs> and, you know, it's famous. I don't know how many movies I've watched where programmed obsolescence in uh, – in, in biological organisms, um, even Jurassic Park, isn't that one of the fundamental uh, plot elements of Jurassic Park that uh, life will find a way? I don't know whether I'd be having these xenobots into me. Maybe I would. I don't know. But um, it, ambivalent. I feel ambivalent about this, Brendan. Yes. Now I'm going to have nightmares about <laughs> xenobot frogs tonight, Mark, um, crawling over me and suffocating me, yes. Yes, um, gee, I mean, it is that it's fascinating having um, said all of that. It's just the, 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 what's the word, the confluence of these um, different, different, um, different technologies, um, biology and, and biotech um, together. So, yes. Um, Yes. Well, I've got Is nothing more to say. I think it's a positive. I think in years to come, we will, um, uh, we, there will be, and I don't think it'll be too far in the future. I wouldn't be surprised that 10 or 15 years down the track, we're no longer doing surgical knee replacements and we're just being injected with little syringes of, of uh, uh, programmed xenobots, which rebuild the knee in situ. Um uh, I, I think that this will be a bit of a revolution, but like I said, um, it smells of so many uh, uh, plot elements in disaster sci-fi movies that uh, I have to, I'm ambivalent, but um, uh, we'll see. We will see about the future, Brendan. Well, my last news story, Mark, is a positive one, and that is, the title of it is A Force of Nature Protecting Mongolia's Elusive Snow Leopards. And I think we've done a few a few little new a few news stories on slow, snow leopards, haven't we, Mark? And it is about an activist in Mongolia. Mark, you'll have to do the pronunciation for me of her name. It she has created the world's first sanctuary for snow leopards. And her and, and I love this story because her campaign included persuading the country's government to cancel 37 mining licenses. So I think she's a fairly persistent individual um, in order to be able to um, um, do that. Um, so in this remote, unforgiving corner of the world, according to the article, herders call them mountain ghosts, the snow leopards, which roam the steep mountains and narrow ravines of Mongolia. She has dedicated her life to researching and protecting them and most people have not even seen them. So she is a teacher turned conservationist and she helped create the Toast Tost 
Tosin Bumba Nature Reserve in the South Gobi Desert, which is the world's first officially protected area specifically dedicated to snow leopards. And it is regarded as a model for a reserve that is co-managed by local people, conservationists and conservationists and the government, which again, I think is a pretty amazing achievement if it manages to um, stay um, having locals and conservationists and the government to to get together but um, great stuff I love it Um, so yeah so today only 4,000 or 7,000 snow leopards remain in the wild with around about a thousand of them in Mongolia Mark so um, that's the gist of this story there Mark so um, and I think that the last sentence um summarises it, Mark, um, of of that article. It amounts to an extraordinary victory for snow leopards, but also an example of what local communities can achieve if given the tools. Their voices can be heard. So, yeah, I think it's quite an inspirational story, this one, Mark, and we'll link to it at vetgurus.com. It was very uplifting and, um, and, yeah, the the fact Sometimes you feel hopeless and it's not going to make any difference, but you hear stories like this and it emphasises that things can be done if you work at it. Yes. What have you got? I've got cockaded, Brendan, (laughs) cockaded. I've got a story about the red red cockaded woodpecker. Um, It's it's got a couple of interesting points in this story and I'm glad that uh, we will link it in our uh, podcast notes. It's from the Mother Nature Network. Um, and my first interesting point is the word cockaded. I was, um, well, I was a bit taken aback when I first heard the name of this particular bird, the red cockaded woodpecker. But I discovered that um, cockaded, a, co- a cockade is a, um, uh, you know, a little rosette or uh, knot of ribbons that uh, designates um, military status or military history. So it, you know, the the uh, the, the um, ribbons that are given to our Anzacs here in Australia, they're an, an example of cockades. And these birds have a lovely little red bunch of feathers right behind their ear, um, and they stand out like a little. Uh, badge of honor and so the bird gets named the red cockaded woodpecker so you're you're a wordsmith mark um you're a wordsmith um i I thought it was going to be i thought it was called that because it was a sound they make they go cockade cockade um but apparently not (laughs) you maybe maybe i'm making it up and you've got the facts on the table, Brendan. Um, the, the other interest, I've one of the things that's occurred to me over the time we've been doing this podcast is um, I've developed, I think, an increased appreciation of um, communication in science. SciComm. Um, I'm a bit of a fan of a number of SciComm experts on Twitter, and and um, and this article takes a topic that might be just a bit repetitive and, you know, another success story. It's one of our uplifting stories. The bird has come from almost being extinct to uh, coming back from the brink and being um, now increasingly, the populations are increasing across the southern USA. But it takes a little bit of a strange uh, turn, this story, where um, analogies are made because what happens is these birds are bred in captivity there's a captive breeding population and then those uh, uh, captively bred birds which are famous for 
uh, being fed by puppets um, so that they don't become, there's lots of pictures of these birds being fed by puppets so they don't become imprinted. But those captive bred birds are then um, uh, spread all around uh, the southern US, the previous range of the bird in various management areas, uh, state parks and forest preserves, um, and uh, that population has grown. The bird is so popular, though, that there's a little bit of competition for um, these birds, uh, the captive bred birds, to be returned to the wild. And so there is a little bit of an annual meeting where various wildlife workers get together and present their case for the birds available to be uh, released in their specific uh, wild wilderness area. And... Um, and the article's authors have turned this into a oh, – they've made a couple of analogies, like a, an auction. They Initially, when I read the article, I'm going, what the hell is going on with this? But they were trying to turn the topic into something different than your usual uh, wildlife success story and started talking about uh, the different – uh, wildlife, yeah, um, murmurs of assent followed. McDearman, like an auctioneer, then ended the bidding that joined woodpecker donor with woodpecker donee. Going once, he said, going twice, sold. Um, and with that, another red-cockaded woodpecker Southern Range Translocation Cooperative Annual Meeting came to an end. Um, I just was fascinated that, um, that they used... Uh, an auction as an analogy for the distribution of these birds, but it's a positive story, Brendan. the the uh, the um, uh, the number of birds is growing dramatically, um, and uh, um, and it's uh, generally accepted that they're um, they've gone from endangered to. Um, uh, um, um, uh, what's uh, I don't think if they're even threatened anymore, um, but they are vulnerable to the perception that there's lots of them around because they do nest um, sort of not colonially but uh, often um, in um, in clumps. They'll they'll be a group of them um, uh, breeding in one spot. So people, when they do see them, are much more likely to uh, to see them. Um, uh, a group of them so there's a false impression that there's lots of them um, but yeah a good story um, to know all those facts about the red cockaded woodpecker it is a good story mark and um, yeah they're quite passionate aren't they there's a huge passion about this bird said ralph costa the service services second woodpecker coordinated who established the translocation group in 1994 and his other comment was the co cooperative meeting is a party, a woodpecker party. So there you go. So, yes, um, a good story, Mark, and it's good to learn a new word every day, isn't it? So I'll have to – I'll forget it tomorrow, but um, it's always good to learn something new. And I think with that, it's all good news, and we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time.